Section 22 of Atlantic Narratives Modern Short Stories, published 1918 by the Atlantic Monthly Press. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Of Water and the Spirit by Margaret Prescott Montague. I want to tell you. I must tell you all about it. With a kind of grave finality, the little woman on the deck-chair next to mine snapped together the collapsible drinking-cup with which she had been playing, and sat up, laying a small eager hand on my arm. It was as if her groping thoughts had suddenly pushed open a door into action. I wondered if she guessed that I had been peeping at her from under dropped lids. She had the colourless make-up of a small middle-aged mouse, but her expression was amazing. It startled and arrested one. All the old lines of the face were set to small ambitions and sordid desires, but the look which should have accompanied these lines was clean gone, wiped into something big and still and simple, and her manner was that of an earnest child. I was in Belgium when it commenced, she began, but I guess I'd better go back and tell it all right from the beginning, she broke off. Please do, I begged. I did my best to speak naturally, but my voice seemed to break some spell, for her face blurred suddenly to self-consciousness. "'I, I reckon I ought to apologize for speaking to a stranger,' she stammered primly, and now her words exactly matched all the old small lines of her face. It was as if her little self, aware of something big and overwhelming that threatened to sweep her out of her depth, made a desperate clutch at conventionality. "'But I want to hear,' I protested eagerly. "'Please tell me.' She must have seen that I was in earnest, for the little conventional self disappeared at that, and she answered simply, "'And I want to tell you.' "'It seems like I've just got to tell you.' It was September, 1914. We homing Americans were churning through an extraordinarily blue ocean toward New York and peace— while back there, just over our shoulders, a mad world was running red. It was like being torn all to pieces and put together again different, she said. But I'll go back, like I said, and start right from the beginning. For a moment she was silent, staring thoughtfully down at the cheap little metal cup screwing the ring softly round and round, and drawing, as it were, inspiration from the sight of it. "'I come from Johnson's Falls,' she began at length. "'You wouldn't know where that is. "'It's just a little place down in West Virginia. "'But it's right close to the Virginia State Line, "'and we have some mighty nice people in town. "'Why,' she exclaimed, "'I reckon we have some of the very best blood in the South there. "'But—but but that isn't what I set out to tell you,' she caught herself up. "'She fell into such a prolonged silence, "'turning the little cup and looking at it, that at last I ventured a question to start her again. "'And I suppose,' I said, "'you belong to one of the oldest families there.' I was sorry as soon as I had said it. "'No, I don't,' she answered simply, looking straight up at me. That was how it all commenced. My father kept the livery stable, but of course it wouldn't matter, keeping the livery, I mean, if your family was all right. Jeff Randolph kept the grocery.' "'Being a Randolph, of course, he could. "'But my name's Smithson, Sadie Virginia Smithson, "'and my grandfather was a carpenter. "'I'm a dressmaker myself. 
"'That's the reason they didn't elect me to the Laurel Literary Society.' She paused a moment. "'I reckon you wouldn't understand about the Laurel Literary Society?' She questioned a trifle wistfully. "'Perhaps not,' I admitted. "'Well, it's a literary society, of course. The members read papers and all like that, but it's a heap more than that. Belonging to it kind of marks a person out in Johnson's Falls and gives them the—, the well, I'd reckon you call it the entree to all the best homes in town. If you don't belong— Well, I reckon it came kind of hard on me not belonging than it did on some of the others. Why, I'd have said the girls that started it were my very best friends. We'd played together as children, and I called them all by their first names, and they knew I was just as smart and liked reading and all that just as well as any of them did. So when I wasn't asked to join, well, it just seemed to knock me right out. I wasn't but nineteen then, and when you're young things hurt more, I reckon. Anyhow, the slight of it got just fixed in my mind, and I kind of made a vow that I'd belong to that society some day if I'd died for it. And then, after a while, it came to me, maybe if I could just save money enough to go abroad, they'd ask me to read a paper before the society when I got back, cause mighty few people have travelled much from our town. Well, she looked thoughtfully away at the blue water. Many and many a night I've put myself to sleep thinking how it would be when I read that paper. You know, when you're young and kind of unhappy and slighted, how you make up things to sort of comfort yourself? I nodded. Well, I could just see the whole thing, me standing there reading and all, and when I'd get through I could almost hear the applause. They'd some of them have on gloves, you know, so it would sound softer and more genteel-like than just common bare-handed clapping. Well, it takes time for a country dressmaker to save. It took me twenty years. I did have most enough once, but then my sister was taken sick, and what I'd saved had to go for her, but I just gritted my teeth and commenced again. And at last, this spring, I had enough, and I joined a party and went. Ours wasn't a regular party. It was just a professor and his wife who were going anyhow, and would take a couple of ladies with them, so there were just the four of us. Well, we travelled for a month or more, and you better believe I stretched my eyes to see all there was to see. And then, all at once, the world just tipped itself right over and went crazy. We were in Brussels when it came. The professor was sure everything would quiet down in a little bit, and he said we'd better stay right there. And anyhow, it wasn't easy to get away. It was all just awful, with one country after another slipping in. Only things came so quick, a person didn't have hardly time to catch their breath and think how awful, for something worse was jumping right on top of it. Well, we stayed and stayed till at last the Germans came. It certainly was a sight to see em, But I ain't going to tell about that. I'm just going to skip right along to what I set out to tell. The professor and his wife had left their only child, a mighty sickly little thing, with her grandmother in Paris, and when things got so bad they were pretty near distracted to get to her. Well, one morning the professor came in and told us he'd run across a young American, a Mr. Grenville, who was being sent to Paris on some special diplomatic business. He had a big automobile, and he thought maybe he could get it fixed to take us all, too. It looked like a mighty crazy thing to do, but there wasn't any holding the professor and his wife on account of their child. And me and the other lady, we was afraid to be left behind. Well, after a lot of running around from one official to another, 
they did finally get it all fixed for us to go and the next day we started out with an american flag on the front of our car of course we were stopped a lot of times and all our papers gone through and everything but each time they let us go on account of mr grenville being a united states official we'd started early and by noon we'd come a right smart piece and about that time we began to hear firing on in front did you ever hear them big guns she broke off to ask her childlike eyes questioning me i shook my head well you needn't never want to hear em she said when they commenced we all kind of looked at one another and i reckon we was all scared anyhow i know i was why at home i'm afraid of a thunderstorm but still we kept on the sound of the firing got louder and louder but it was never very close and long late in the afternoon it sort of died off and we commenced to draw breath again and think everything was going to be all right i'm most sure now we must have missed the way for just about that time we ran upon a piece of road that was all tore up there were big holes in it from the shells and those tall poplars alongside were all snapped off and their branches stripped down like a child peels a switch you could smell the fresh sap like you can in lumber camps at home well we had to slow up and kind of pick our way and on round the very next turn we ran right up on them on the fighting i gasped no no the fight was all over then just for flash coming on em so quick like i didn't know what they were they looked like little sprawled brown heaps but in the second i was wondering one of em flung up an arm and groaned how awful i cried aghast yes she assented simply it certainly was awful my words ain't big enough to tell you how awful running up on em so unexpected like that kind of cut my breath right off and choked me there they were lying all about across the road and in a wheat-field alongside with the sun just shining down like it was any kind of a summer day a good many of em were dead but there were a plenty that weren't they blocked the road so we had to stop and right where we stopped there was a young man lying flung over on his back he'd snatched his shirt open at the breast and the blood had all dripped down into the dust of the road he opened his eyes and stared right up in my face and cried water for god's sake he said it over and over in the awfulest voice and like it was one word water for god's sake water for god's sake like that i had this little drinking cup and there was a good-sized creek just a piece across the field so i grabbed my handbag and jumped out well at that all of em in the car commenced to holler and scream at me to get back though we couldn't stop it wouldn't be safe and we couldn't do anything and anyhow the stretcher bearers would be along directly but i just said he wants water and i've got my cup here and there's the branch and anyhow i says he looks kind of like my sister's oldest boy and with that i started on to the creek well the professor and mr grenville jumped out of the car and came running after me but i just turned round and looked at em you all go on i says he asked me for water for god's sake and if you try and put me back in that car i'll fight you like a wildcat i never did anything like that fightin i mean she broke off to explain earnestly but i would have and i reckon they knew it the professor tried to argue you'll be a raving maniac if you stay here he says well i says look what's here now what difference does it make if i am somehow that was the way i felt everything was so awful it didn't seem to matter whether anything awful happened to me or not so i just kept on to the creek and mr grenville said 
"'For heaven's sake, let her stay if she can do anything. "'I wish to God I could stay, too.' "'But he couldn't. "'He was carrying some mighty important dispatches "'that he just had to get on with. "'And then he calls out to me, "'Good luck and God bless you, Miss Smithson.' "'And when I looked back, he was standing with his hat off. "'He was a mighty nice young man. "'But all the time the other ladies in the car "'was screaming and hollering for them to come on, "'so they had to go.' "'They left you all alone?' I cried. "'They had to,' she returned. "'Mr. Grenville had to get on with his dispatches, "'and it was the last chance the professor and his wife had "'of getting through to their child. "'And the other lady, well, she couldn't do nothing but scream anyhow. "'By the time I was coming back from the creek, "'the car was just pulling out of sight. "'Somehow to see it go like that gave me a kind of funny feeling. "'I was scared, I reckon, but all the same I felt kind of still, too.' It seemed like for the last few weeks I'd been hustled along in a wild kind of torrent. But now I'd touched bottom and got my feet under me. I reckon a woman does touch bottom when there's anything she can do. Anyhow, one raised to work like I've been does. But, oh, my Lord, she cried suddenly, dropping her face to her hands. I wish I could keep from seeing it all still, and hearing it too. Did you ever hear a man scream? she demanded. "'Not just groan, but shriek and scream?' "'In hospitals,' I said uncertainly. "'I've heard people screaming when they were coming out of ether.' She shook her head. "'That's different. You knew there were people, nurses and doctors, to do things for them. But out there there wasn't anything but the trampled wheat and the big empty sky. There was plenty of them who wanted water and begged and cried for it, but I just said, "'I'll be back to you all presently,' and went on to the first one.' He was kind of delirious, but he could drink the water and was mighty glad to get it. I brushed the flies all away and spread a clean handkerchief over his wound. He was too far gone to try and do anything else for him, and went on back to the creek. Water, that was the main thing they wanted. The most of them that could be were bandaged already. Some of the medical outfit had been around and got em tied up, but after that I reckon the fighting must have changed and cut em off from their friends. But the stretcher bears didn't come and didn't come. It was all so strange and kind of shut away there, like destruction had lit for a spell and then flown on to the next place. The wheat was all laid over and tramped, lumpy with khaki bodies and with caps and guns and things flung around in it, and the red sun sailing down and down in the west, and ever here and there awful splatters of blood in the wheat. But I didn't have time to look and think too much. "'and it was mighty lucky I didn't have. "'They were all English and had run upon a German battery "'and had been shot to pieces for they hardly knew what was happening. "'I guess some of them must have got away, but there was a plenty that didn't. "'They had been lying there since dawn, and, and they were hungry,' her voice broke. "'And I didn't have anything to give them, she whispered. "'They say after a while you get kind of numb to things.' she went on presently with her grave simplicity i don't know how that is but i know the things i saw made me stop every now and then down by the creek out of sight and just wring and wring my hands together in a kind of rage of pity once going through the wheat i tramped on something soft and when i looked it was it was just a piece of a man i thought i'd lay right down then and die but i says to myself they want water they want water, and that way I kind of drove myself on. 
but all the time i could see my heart under my waist just jumping up and down like i was fighting to jump out and run away and then another time but she broke off no she said i won't tell about that it's so peaceful here with that blue water and sunshine and all i reckon i oughtn't to tell what it's like underneath when hell takes the lid off and maybe some day the lord'll let me forget but it's funny she went on again presently how your mind grabs a hold of any foolish thing to steady you she paused staring down at the little cup as though she drew remembrance from it i recollect as i went back and forth back and forth weaving out paths through the wheat a silly song that we used to sing to a game at school kept running my head i don't want none of your weevily wheat and i don't want none of your barley and i don't want none of your weevily wheat to bake a cake for charlie i was mighty glad it did for all it was so silly it kept me from flying right off the handle and so i kept on and on carrying him water some of the men thought it was funny i should be there and they wanted to talk and ask me questions but the most of em were suffering too bad to care and some of em were busy going along into the next world and were done with being surprised over anything in this most of em called me nurse or sister and somewhere i liked to have em do it some of em certainly were brave too why i saw one young feller jump straight up to his feet and fling his arms out wide and holler right up at the sky are we downhearted no and pitch over dead you know she paused to explain simply her extraordinarily childlike eyes lifted to mine for understanding and sympathy it just seemed to snatch the heart right out of you to see a person stand up to death like that especially when they're so young like that little fella of course she went on after a moment i didn't just give him water i'd do any other little thing i could besides and every time i could do anything i certainly was glad doing things seemed to ease up a little that terrible rage of pity i felt i took my skirt off and rolled it up for a pillow for a little fellow who couldn't move and was laying with his head in a kind of sinkhole he tried to thank me but he couldn't he just sobbed but he caught a hold of my hand and kissed it that made me cry it was so sort of young and pretty of him after that i went on for a spell with the tears just pouring down my cheeks but presently i found the one who couldn't drink the water and i quit crying then my tears weren't big enough only gods would have been big enough for that the man's face was all gone eyes mouth everything and still he was alive he must have heard me and known somebody was there for he commenced to scream and moan trying to say things down in his throat and to reach out his hands and flop about oh my god it was like a chicken with its head off i thought i'd have to run but i didn't i just sort of fell down beside him and caught hold of his hands and patted them and talked to him like you do to a child in a nightmare i don't know what i said at first just a crazy jumble of pity i reckon but after a little bit i found i was praying i know i needed it and it seemed to help him too for after a little bit he stopped that awful trying to speak down in his throat and lay still just gripping my hands i was so crazy i couldn't think of a thing to say but god bless us and keep us and make his face to shine upon us and be merciful unto us and i just said that over and over 
i guess it wasn't the words that he wanted it was the feeling of having god there in all that awful dark and blood and some human being beside him who was sorry anyhow every time i'd stop he'd snatch at my wrist so hard it would hurt look she broke off to push up her gray sleeve and there on her thin wrist still vividly black and blue were the bruised prints of fingers but i was glad to be hurt i wanted to be hurt i wanted to have a share in all the suffering it just seemed like my heart would break and she added with great simplicity i reckon that's just what it did do for i know i broke through into something bigger than i ever had been well after a while god did have mercy on that poor soul for he quit pulling up my hands and began to die and when i came round again to him he was gone but that got me started and i left off saying that foolishness about the weevilly wheat and said the little prayer instead i said it to myself first but after a little bit i found i was saying it out loud i don't know why but it just seemed like i had to say it every time i gave one of them water just god bless us and keep us and make his face to shine upon us and be merciful unto us it was somehow like a child's game like having to touch every tree box going along the street or stepping over every crack each one of em had to have the water and the little prayer and then on to the next or back down to the creek for more most of em didn't seem to notice but some of em laughed and some stared like i was crazy maybe i was a little and again some of em were glad of it so i kept on and on and the sun went down and the dark came and it seemed like a kind of a lid had shut us away from all the world it wasn't right dark but the stars were shining it was about that time that i found the little officer he was dying off in the wheat all to himself and he got me to take down some messages for his folks i wrote em in my diary i had a pocket flashlight in my bag and it made a round eye of light that stared out at every word i wrote they were the simplest kind of words just love love to mother and love to father and snippy and peg and good-bye to em all and how he was glad to die for england but they look mighty strange jumping about there in my diary alongside of travel notes about brussels it's like something big and terrible had smashed its fist right through all the little fancy things but it was funny she went on after a minute how sort of like little children so many of the men were so trusting and helpless there was one little fellow always said the same thing to me every time i came round they'll sure be around for us soon now won't they sister he'd say and i'd always answer oh yes just in a little bit now and he'd settle back again so trusting and satisfied and like i really knew that was the way they all seemed to me just children even the ones that cursed and screamed at me another funny thing she added lifting her grave child eyes to mine i've never been married never knew what it was to have children but that night all those men were my children even the biggest and roughest of em i felt em all here she held her hands tight against her breast and i believe i would have died for any one of em i reckon being so crazy with pity had stretched me up out of being a kind of scary old maid into being a mother i recollect there were two loose horses galloping about they were wild with fear and they'd gallop as hard as ever they could in one direction and then they'd wheel round and come to a stand with their heads up and their tails cocked in nicker 
and snort over what they smelt, and then take out again. Well, once they came charging right down on us, and I thought sure they were going right over the men. I never stopped to think. I ran straight out in front of them, waving my arms and hollering. They just missed galloping right over me, but I didn't care. I believe I'd almost have been glad. It was like I said. I wanted to be hurt, too. That was because it was all so lonesome for him. Death and suffering is a lonesome thing, she stated gravely. When they'd scream, I felt like I'd tear my heart out to help them. But all I could do was just stand on the outside like and watch him suffering and maybe drying inside there all alone. That's why it seemed like being hurt, too, would make it easier. But along late in the night, the guns broke out again awful loud, and presently off against the sky I saw red streaks of flame go up in two places, and I knew there were towns on fire. I just stopped still and looked, and thought what it was like with the folks scurrying round like rats, and the fire and the shells raining down on them. "'That's hell, right over there,' I says out loud to myself, and then I went on down to the creek faster than ever. Maybe I was getting kind of light-headed then, and God knows it was enough to make anybody so. Anyhow, I felt like I had to hold hell back. It was loose right over there, and the only thing that held it off was the cup of water and the little prayer. So I kept on back and forth, back and forth from the creek, faster and faster. I thought if I missed one of them, it would let hell in on all the rest, so I kept on and on. The guns were booming and the flames going up into the sky, and all hell was loose. But the little prayer and the cup of water was holding it back. And then at last, when it commenced to freshen for dawn, I knew I'd won. She drew a deep breath and paused, looking up at me with clear, faraway eyes. That was because I knew he was there, she said. He, I questioned, awestruck by her tone. She nodded. Yes, God, she answered simply. And after that, that terrible lonesomeness melted all away. I knew that though I had to stand outside and see him suffer, he was inside there with him, closer to him than they ever was to themselves. So I know it wasn't really lonesome for him, even if they were suffering and dying. And I'm right sure that a good many of them got to know that, too. Anyhow, the faces of some of the ones that had died looked that way when I saw them in the morning. Maybe it was because I cared so much myself that I kind of broke through into knowing how much more God cared. Folks always talk like he was a father way off in the sky. But I got to know that night that what was really God was something big and close, right in your own heart. There was a heap more like a big mother. And it was all bigger and sort of simpler than I'd ever thought it would be. Right over there was hell and big guns and men killing each other. But here where we were were just stars overhead, and folks that you could do things for, and God. I reckon that's the way, she said with her grave simplicity. When things get too awful, you suffer through to God, and he turns you back to the simplest things, just the little prayer and the cup of water for men that was like sick children. This is the cup, she added, holding it out for my inspection. And, and that's all, I reckon, she concluded. When daylight came, the stretcher-bearers did get through to us. 
There was a sort of doctor officer with him, and I never in my life saw anyone look so tired. "'Who are you, and what in thunder are you doing here?' he stormed out at me. Only I don't say it as strong as he did. I reckon I must have looked like a wild woman. I'd lost my hat, and my hair was all fallen down, and I only had on my short alpaca underskirt, cause I'd taken off my dress skirt to make a pillow, like I'd said. But I just stood right up in the midst of all those poor bodies, and says, "'I'm Miss Smithson, Sadie Virginia Smithson, and I've been holding hell back all night.' I knew I was talking crazy, but I didn't care— like the way you do coming out of ether? He stared at me for a spell, and then he says, kind of funny, Well, Miss Sadie Virginia, I'm glad you held some of it back, for everybody else in the world was letting it loose that night. He was mighty kind to me, though, and helped get me to one of the base hospitals, and from there over to England. But I don't know what happened to the professor and his party. Well, I ventured after a long pause, and not knowing quite what to say, the Laurel Literary Society will be glad enough to have you belong to it now. She flashed bolt upright at that, her eyes staring at me. But, but you don't understand, she cried breathlessly. I've been face to face with war and death and hell and God. I've been born again. Do you reckon any of them little old things matter now? I was stunned by the white look of her face. What does matter now? I whispered at last. Nothing, she answered. Nothing but God and love and doing things for folks. That was why I had to tell you. End of story. Biographical and interpretive notes by Charles Swain Thomas. Margaret P. Montague, living among the West Virginia mountains, has written many successful stories of the hill people whom she knows so well. The chain of incidents narrated by the simple-hearted Virginia dressmaker is of absorbing interest, and seems to be the real experiences of one who had actually endured the tragedy of having lived in the horror of the aftermath of battle. But even more interesting than these scenes of pitiful suffering is the effect produced upon the woman who endures it all. Her whole attitude toward life was changed. What matters it now that her father was not an aristocratic Virginian? What if she were a poor dressmaker at the little village of Johnson's Falls? What, though she was not elected a member of the Laurel Literary Society? She had been face to face with war and death and hell and God. The little things of life had unconsciously sunk away, and the great enduring themes had boldly emerged to recreate her spiritual self. End of section.